Welcome to 84 Ounces of Freedom. This is episode 5, I believe. I am Mr. Cole. And I'm Mr. Rasner, and I talk trucks. Uh, right now, I think the most important thing we can do is talk about what we're drinking and how it got here. What was it? Uh, about three or four weeks ago, we did the Big Brew Day with the Homebrew Club, the Malt Canocti Mashers. At, uh, and this year it was at the local brewery, Kelsey Creek Brewery. Was super fun. I learned a lot. Really, uh, a gracious group of guys. For someone like me who's not an experienced brewer, I'm asking questions that, like, I know they must in their minds just be rolling their eyes because it's like first day shit. But no one ever showed even the slightest hint of impatience. They're just nice guys. Yeah. If you want to, like I always say, if you want to make better beer, join your. Uh local homebrew club and and try to attend as much as possible um do better than me i'm the world's worst member i make maybe one or two a year but definitely try to make the big brew day if you if you haven't heard of that homebrew clubs around the world on these specific days this year it happened to be the fourth of may uh get together and make a big beer so we made 35 gallons and uh spent all day brought food and stuff and uh, everybody that shows up helps make it, and then you take home five gallons of wort. And uh, Dave took five, and I took five. And this is a it's a English IPA, isn't it? No, they said it was a Northeast IPA. Northeast IPA. So more like a dogfish head style. Like we're ah. used to drinking a bunch of West Coast IPAs. So it is cloudy. So the way the way Paul described the Northeast style was. Lots of hop flavor, but minus the bitterness. And I want to say that to achieve that, you add the hops in later in the boil. Yeah, there's definitely some crazy or stuff. Earlier. They added. <laughs> they, they added some stuff to um, make it not boil over. I can't remember even what it's called. See, I, I learned so much stuff, I forget half the stuff, too, because we are drinking beer the whole time. Destroyed. But it, it made it not boil over, but it also made these, like, rope-like proteins appear in the boil. It was really crazy. Um, and Dave's particular five gallons, we used an ale yeast. Um, you'll be able to see what it is. I'll have a video up on my YouTube page, and I'll connect it to this episode when it's done um but it it um is really nice it actually kind of has a belgian flavor to it it's got all those belgian spicy things kind of going on so and that yeast i used is known for being peppery and adding estery flavors mm -hmm. it's one i really like with rye beers mm -hmm. um and this definitely has some clove and maybe what do we say ginger overtones to it yeah i think that was the first thing it's changed though since we tried it on camera but um that was the first thing that hit me was ginger and that's just the the spiciness to it and a total rookie move i didn't measure the alcohol so i have no idea what it, it is I, I can tell you it works yes last, <laughs> you've, been, you've been practicing last sunday i i had everything dialed perfect the carbonation the temp it was perfect and um i was sipping it throughout the afternoon and it, it was delightful yeah so thanks malt canocti masters uh, again i can't say it enough uh join your local homebrew club 
uh, we sure had a great time and now we're reaping the benefits the the other five I um, <clears throat> we were able to ferment longer Dave's went right from primary into the keg for so it would be ready for a party <clears throat> but the other keg that I used a Belgian yeast I um, dry hopped it with I believe four ounces of Chinook an ounce of Simcoe and an ounce of Idaho 7 so um, we should have a hoppier version. We'll see if some of these fruity off flavors persist or if they go away or, I mean, they may not even happen with that yeast, who knows. It'll be so interesting to, we'll have to figure out a way to try them side by side. Like we may have to bottle some of this or something. Well, I have another keg, so that's empty. So that one can stay in a keg, we'll figure. What if we, what if it, I finish it though? Well, then we don't have a side-by-side. -side. But we could bottle. We could just throw some in a bottle and cap it, and we could Sheboygan side-by-side well, them. Yeah, and you know what? I can um, I can figure that out because it's going to be kegged next week. So we can do it before the event. If you'd like to try that beer, um, I listed it as New England IPA, so maybe I made a mistake on no, my no, no, form. Um, New England was about right because it was northeast. And that, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Before, I thought you said <clears throat> English IPA, but New England IPA would be the northeast IPA. I got to wonder what I put on the application now. <laughs> so, you too can drink this beer. That beer we're going to be pouring on June 15th at the Home Beer and Wine Makers event here in uh, Lakeport, California. I believe it's 1 to 5. I think it's 25 bucks all you can drink. I'll be pouring It was going to be seven things. It's reduced to six. One 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 of the things didn't work out. So that beer um, will definitely be pouring. It'll be on keg. Yeah, a couple things to add. Like, so first of all, it's worth noting that the all grain brew is so cost effective. Literally, the five gallon keg, the the cost to make it is ten dollars. Yeah, that was our share of cost to take five gallons of wort. I mean, you're you're. I, I think the the guy that owns the brewery donated the grains. Okay, so... So I think we only split the cost for the hops, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I wonder... I, I, I kind of wish I knew... I think $20 for the keg like would have been more than it would have cost, though. You know, to, I, I grains. participated two years ago, and I think it was 15 bucks that yeah. time. It was super cheap. So maybe the, that did include the grain. The cost of this beer we're drinking is less than the cost of any beer I've drank in my entire life. Yeah, definitely makes me want to go into the business. <laughs> and the other thing that, like, I think it's worth pointing out right now, since we were just <clears throat> talking about the Homebrew Home Winemakers Festival, which is... What did you say, the June 15th? Yes. So, like, there, there's probably people who are wondering, like, there's probably people who say to themselves, I'd really like to go pay $25 and try everything and then just, like, get hammered. But they're, like, a little nervous that people will, like, judge them for, because that's not really the spirit of the event. Like... But, like, like I want people to know that we think that's totally okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you ever gone to Costco and you're cruising all the samples and, like, you're worried the, the people dispensing the samples are going to be judging you because you have no intention of buying what they're... <laughs> I, I get weird feelings like that there, too. <laughs> right. Like, 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 we can tell the people that just want to get hammered and are going to come back and just grab nine pints of their favorite beer 
And we're completely okay with that. I imagine there's people we like it, actually. that just walk around Costco at lunchtime <laughs> on their lunch break, and that's how they do it. Just <laughs> yes. pick that shit up. Yeah. Uh, our booth, we, you know... We there's no judgment if you come yeah. back nine times for the same beer. Like, we, we, we're into that, too. I'm going to have really unusual stuff. We like to pour a small amount of each thing we have for you so you can try it all and then just tell us what you want and... We'll give you a full pour on that beer. Yeah, bring bring back your bring back a um, a Stein. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to, or a, ten, <laughs> or a tennis shoe. <laughs> the uh, the home brewer or home winemaker competition is a lot of fun. I look forward to it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> so since we're talking about alcohol. Um, this is something we've been talking about, um, about the U.S. alcohol poisoning. Dude, lay it on me. So I still can't believe this happened. Yeah, um, I, and I've heard Glenn Beck mention it before, and I kind of did some research on it. Uh, there's a claim that the American government poisoned illegal alcohol during Prohibition from 1920 to 1933, resulting in the deaths of up to 100, I'm sorry, 10,000 Americans. So the act of denaturing alcohol consists of adding toxic chemicals to alcohol that is used for industrial purposes so that it is unfit for human consumption and even to the point of where it tastes so bad you would never drink enough to get drunk, which it takes a lot to get me to say no. Uh, this process was used in Europe for many years before it was introduced to America in 1906. By adjusting industrial products like paints and solvents to this process, the manufacturers were able to avoid paying the high fees that were placed on whiskey, gin, vodka, etc. So, you know, paint thinner companies were paying the same fees that, like, whiskey companies were. Well, no one's ever drinking this, so they had to make it even worse, and then they could avoid those fees. Mm -hmm. So when Prohibition started bootleggers would steal industrial alcohol and they would pay chemists to renature it or take those bad things back out yeah that's doable so the government's response was to make it even more poisonous uh, by mid 1927 kerosene gasoline nicotine brucine i don't know if i'm saying that right cadmium zinc ether formaldehyde quinine, acetone, carbolic acid, mercury salts, and even chloroform were all items used in the new denaturing policies. The most deadly was methyl alcohol. It was demanded by the Treasury of Department to add up to 10%. Uh, there is documentations of ho hospitals getting flooded by people who were flushed, confused, and suffering from hallucinations. One hospital had 60 people come in on one night, and six of those people died. Twenty more, 23 more died the next day. So, like, people in an area would get mm -hmm. a batch of bad booze, and it would get circulated. Mm -hmm. Trying to find um, hard numbers on the 10,000 estimate is really hard to do, and I mm -hmm. don't really find where that's accurate. So, I don't know if that part is true or, any, or not, Um there is a really interesting book for more information read. It's called The Poisoner's Handbook, Murder and the Birth of Forensic Medicine in Jazz Age, New York by Deborah Blum. So that's the story. Our government did that. 
But, like, it's different. Now that I heard that story, it's different than... It's not that they were making... They weren't trying to poison they people. They weren't poisoning booze and putting it out there on the black market. They were poisoning to... the, the industrial products. Yeah, yeah. They weren't is... for drinking anyways. Well, bootleggers would get that stuff right. and renature it. So it's a little bit different than what I... The government had... just killed 10,000 people. Yeah, I was... I was thinking of a story that would rival, like, you know, any 9-11 conspiracy theory, <laughs> like, right? Yeah, so the, <laughs> the one one of the articles I read in, in finding out that information kind of put it, like, asked, you know, is this a conspiracy theory or is it true? And, and the answer is kind of both, as usual. Right. <clears throat> it is true in a way, but the government wasn't literally purposely making poisonous alcohol and and selling it as bootleggers they wouldn't yeah they were just trying to prevent people from using um uh denatured alcohol um what were there were there lawsuits and payouts and things like that i don't know about that um there were some politicians and stuff that said things like you know uh drinking alcohol is illegal so if you die from it that's your fault for breaking the law right yeah so it was kind of they were for it just a really weird time in our history it is a weird time yeah the whole over there? progressive era ah yeah give me something or do we take a walk to the pause our recording and take a walk to the keg and what do you we think can do anything whatever what do you want to do i surprise me i think i have a bass Oh, need an opener? Yeah, if you're holding. Nice. What else we have on our topics? Oh, so I'm going to drink the same beer you're drinking. So th this is something that, you know, we talk about all the rules and stuff we have for this podcast. And pretty much any rule that we thought was going to be real, we break it, like, instantly. So Basically what I do best. Yeah, so... This topic is consistent with what we talked about as far as alcohol poisoning. <clears throat> I don't know if it's a theme for the episode, but I wanted to put this in here. And um, I think most Americans aren't aware of this story um, simply because it comes from Canada. And uh, I'm totally not qualified. My name's not Mike, and this is a true crime story. So um, I'm going to break that rule. Fuck it. <laughs> So this is a story of the boozing barber. Have you ever heard of this guy? I'm, I'm completely naive. Okay, Gilbert Paul Jordan was a Canadian serial killer known as the boozing barber. His weapon of choice was not a gun, knife, or even a hammer. Gilbert Paul Jordan, he's like a triple Ricky Bobby there, <laughs> killed with booze. Jordan's victims were aboriginal... I wrote original women... <laughs> That's a typo. Aboriginal women in Vancouver's downtown east side. He would pick up women in bars and buy them drinks or pay them for sex and encourage them to drink with him. When they passed out, he would pour out... First of all, as one does. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> he, he had a way of really encouraging them to drink. It, it's super weird. <clears throat> when they passed out, he would pour alcohol down their throats. Police didn't pay much attention... Because the cause of death was alcohol poisoning and the victims tend to be known alcoholics. Well, 
isn't it really hard for an alcoholic to get alcohol poisoning? Mm-hmm. Like, those should be the people that don't get alcohol poisoning. Mm-hmm. It's a person that never drinks that ends up, well, at your work. <laughs> with a stomach full of, what, what do they put, carbon or something? I don't Not for alcohol, no. I thought they put charcoal or something in your Activated stomach. Activated charcoal. I mean, I, I've never done it, but yeah, it is a thing. But usually they use that for meds and other toxins. I've never been aware of it being done for alcohol, but maybe it's a thing, sure. The doctor told me to do it. I'd try my best. I, I think I, I've, personal experience, I've known, I believe, two people in the history that have had alcohol poisoning. Uh-huh. And they had told me they had to drink some charcoal yeah. mixture. Yeah, sometimes the paramedics will do it on the way in. I've never done it. Crazy. But it is a thing, for sure. Jordan was known to drink more than 50 ounces of vodka daily. In 1965, Ivy Rose would become his first victim. She was a switchboard operator and was found dead and naked in a Vancouver hotel. Her blood alcohol level was .51. No charges were ever presented on this case. Yeah. Later court proceedings would show he sought out about 200 women per year from 1980 to 1988 for his drinking, his binge drinking frolics. He was known to be in the presence of six women at the time of their deaths. Mary, John- Mary Johnson, Barbara Hall, and Vera, somehow I don't have her last name, were all found in different hotels. So he was known to be with them, but it was different hotels, so it could be coincidence or weird, but the other three this is where it's interesting mary johns patricia thomas and patricia andrews were all found dead at his barber shop so i mean you can't it, clearly something's wrong here how many more people have to die before this guy is put in jail you know i'm not sure why it was so hard to put two and two together and put this guy in jail oh i'll just repeat myself twice <laughs> Cops started following him around at this point and saved four potential victims. Police listened in on him and heard him pressuring them to slam back booze in the exchange for money. He would like go, come on, finish it, take that shot, I'll give you 20 bucks, I'll give you 20 bucks. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll give you 50 bucks, I'll f- you finish that bottle, just pressure him. Yeah. Hard peer pressure to drink. Uh-huh. Um, And what's weird is the, the cops literally busted in and said, okay, you goofy kids, break it up and save four women. <laughs> but still didn't put the fucking guy in jail. Well, like, it's tough because is that is that attempted murder? I mean... It is so weird. He was found guilty of manslaughter and got 15 years, which was reduced to nine. So he's out. After an appeal, he served six. <laughs> so he's out there. <clears throat> he was released on probation and restricted to Vancouver Island. In June 2000, he was charged with sexual assault, assault, negligence, causing bodily harm, and administering a noxious substance, alcohol. That's really hard to read. He was arrested again in 2002 because he was found drinking in the presence of a woman, which he's not allowed to do, ever. (laughs) He got 15 months in jail and three years of strict probation. Then he was arrested again for the same reason in 2004, when he, right when he was released. For this one, the police decided to issue a public warning, which I have right here. Gilbert Paul Jordan, age 73, we're talking about a 73-year-old man, 
is the subject of this alert. Jordan is 175 centimeters or five foot nine inches tall for us Americans and weighs 79 kgs or 174 pounds. He is partially bald with gray hair and a gray goatee. He has blue eyes and wears jeans. I'm sorry, they should, have, it should say watery blue eyes. <laughs> Jordan is currently in the Victoria area, but has no fixed address. Jordan has a significant criminal record, including manslaughter and indecent assault of a female. He uses alcohol to lure his victims. Jordan's target victim group is adult females. Jordan is subject to court-ordered conditions, including abstain absolutely from the consumption of alcohol, not to be in the company of any female person or persons in any place where alcohol is being either consumed or processed by that person or persons. If you observe the subject is in violation of any of the above conditions, please call Snitch Police Department. And it gives their number. Literally <laughs> Snitch Police Department. <laughs> S-A-A-N-I-C-H. Cannabis Snitches full. get stitches. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> uh, I hope the guys from uh, uh, Dark Poutine listen to this so they can tell us how to properly pronounce that. Yeah. <laughs> They're really good at saying all the names, and I can never pronounce them correctly. No way. Uh, he died in 2006. Um, so speaking of Dark Poutine, they have a really good episode. And uh, the host is named Mike, so he's qualified to do true crime. Uh, it's episode 15, The Boozing Barber. Very nice. That's well, nice it's Mike. like... I, like, I was blown I'm, away when I heard that, just how much he just kept doing, and they're like finding dead chicks wherever this guy's been. And... So was the point to kill, or was this guy doing <clears throat> the standard, like, Bill Cosby quaaludes routine, where there's it's a weird. sexual he'd assault? Just be, he'd just be like, you know, we were drinking, and we had sex, and then, you know, I went home, she was fine when I left. Yeah. So, but, uh, no, they keep dying, dude. Like every fucking time. Yeah. Interesting. I, it kind of blew me away when I heard that story. Yeah. Canada, eh? Take off, eh? <laughs> yeah, there's some crazy crime over there that we never hear about here. They probably say the same thing about us. Yeah. Because <clears throat> why would you? Unless it's like major, like major serial killers what else you got oh so I have <clears throat> you know how we like to do medical serial killers here it, it's a fan favorite this is uh, this is one you know something about Okay, so this is a medical serial killer, which you, Dave, of course, will recognize. I think most people will. Uh, he has popped up in the news again recently. Um, some proof has come to light that's changed some opinions of what people think. Um, although there's been arguments that that proof is garbage, so we'll uh, get into it. So this guy was known as H.H. H. Holmes. Okay. Herbert Herman Webster Mudgett, better known as H.H. H. Holmes, was America's first serial killer. 
He confessed to 27 murders, but only nine could be confirmed. Several he claimed were still alive, but he is believed to have killed more 200 or more. He built the World's Fair Hotel, which was closed close to the 1983 World... There can't be 1983. World's Fair Columbian Expedition. No, it would have been turn of the century. Yeah, maybe 1883. Yeah, more like that. His other crimes were for being a con artist and a bigamist. Fifty lawsuits against him existed just in Chicago. His murder castle had chutes in rooms that led to the basement where he had acid vats, quicklime pits, and a crematorium. He later sold the skeletons to medical labs and schools. Quite the scheme. Yeah, it seems like a lot of his stuff was just profit-motivated. He was definitely profit-motivated. More The way that finally got him caught was uh, a fraud activity. Yeah, I don't think he was like sadosexual or you know anything like that he just seemed to like not have a problem with killing and found it to be easy he did lots of life insurance fraud and shit like that too women he was involved with were known to mysteriously disappear and were never seen again he was hanged on may 7th 1896 he asked for his coffin to be filled with cement and buried 10 feet deep his neck did not snap and he twitched for 15 minutes before being pronounced dead after 20 minutes. Uh, we, I recommend reading Eric Larson's book, uh, The Devil in the White City. This is, you'll notice this very <clears throat> short explanation of H.H. H. Holmes. We could spend an hour just talking about him and going into more... a whole season of a TV show. <laughs> right, and that's kind of my point. The History Channel show, uh, The American Ripper, features Jeff Mudgett. He atten- he's a, a distant relative of H.H. H. Holmes and attempts to link Holmes to Jack the Ripper and they exhume the body to prove that they are indeed the same man. His book, Bloodstains, puts forth the idea that Jack the Ripper and Holmes were the same person. Jeff Mudgett claims to have, have the diary of H.H. H. Holmes but strangely he refuses to talk about it on episode 30 of uh, Sword and Scale for legal reasons. Uh, when Mike Boudet questions him about what legal reasons, he says, quote, You know what, Mike? I don't admit they're real or not. That's why I wrote the book based on a true story. Because I knew that this would come up. I practiced law for many years, and it's working out just fine. Someday my daughter, my daughter can make that decision. He argues that there are statutes of limitations about murder that must be observed, so he's not releasing the information about the diary. Hmm. What? What statutes of limitation could affect anybody? Anybody that would be involved is dead. You know what I mean? Um, so I just found that really weird. Again, listen to that episode of Sword and Scale. See what you think. The only thing I can think of is that definitely when insurance claims are paid out, um, if that's later found to be false okay there's no statute of limitations on turning that around right and the reason i know this is true is because um when shipwrecks are found that have sunken treasure if an insurance company paid out on that treasure as a loss you know 200 years ago and that treasure gets found 
that insurance company has a claim to that treasure. Oh, wow. Right? So, and because H.H. Holmes was um, doing all this insurance fraud stuff where he would take out life insurance right. policies on people um, and then kill them and collect on it, if, if somehow H.H. Holmes left money to relatives and that money created a pocket of wealth that can be traced down to people that are currently alive and that money has ties to false insurance claims from pre-turn of the century those insurance companies would come forward and want something back good point that well that clears it up for me then it's the only thing i think that makes of. a lot of sense so there's also a book uh dane ladwig his book holmes and the Whitechapel murders supports some of Mudgett's beliefs in bloodstains, but he also disagrees on some. So the reason why this came up is the other day I saw on the news um, a story about a guy named Aaron Kaminsky, who was a barber at the time that was suspected of being Jack the Ripper. Okay. And there's a guy that through some, like, uh, like an auction, bought this piece of cloth... Um, that is said to have the semen of Jack the Ripper on it. It was one of the only evidence that they ever collected and held on to. Mm. Um, and I, I'm really bad when I'm listening to podcasts. If it gets it to the end, I'll turn it off. This episode 30 of Sword and Scale was in 2014. Mm -hmm. So I listened to it again before I wrote this, and he brings up the fact that the Aaron Kaminsky cloth... Um, he was a Polish barber, another barber, by the way, um, that the DNA was tested. And at the time in 2014, um, it was actually a shawl. Four experts claimed that it was no good, that it was, he was not the man. But now, currently in the news, they're saying that that DNA has been tested again and they've proven that that is, in fact, <clears throat> this Aaron Kosminski um, was the uh, Jack the Ripper hmm. so it destroys kind of the the belief of Dane Landwig's book and uh, Jeff Mudgett's book where they they're thinking that because all the things line up you watched that series what was I did it? Smoke and Bones or something it was called I can't believe I didn't cite that here but it was oh the American Ripper is what it was called yeah I we, I we devoured it. that Laura and I devoured that. And he talks about, I don't know if he talked about it on that series, that, that, that when they excavated his body, the, the brain was still, like, in the skull. It wasn't in concrete, if I recall correctly. Well, yeah, because he was buried ten feet down in concrete. Did they respect his wishes, though? Like No, they dug him up. Right, right, but was there actually concrete down there when they dug it up? Yeah. I don't remember that. All right. So just interesting stuff on the H.H. Holmes. And of course, you know, he's a medical serial killer, so we got to get to him at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, was he a physician? I can't remember. Yeah, he went, He was smart. He, uh, yeah, he, he was. went to medical school, and but he also was smart on scamming people. That was the thing that got him caught. Yeah, he was, <clears throat> he was always working these angles. It was wild. And it's always, you know, just a good... Good old cop work, detective work is how they caught him. 
Mm -hmm. That's an interesting story just in itself. How they caught him? Yeah. Help help me, I don't know. I don't I'd have to do more research and stuff, but I have listened to another podcast that just talks about that and mm -hmm. super interesting. Also, uh if you ever heard of Albert Fish, I'm not qualified. He's super Albert Fish is a terrible serial killer of children. Um just plain old cop work caught him. Like yeah. like the guy like recognized the stationery that was used at the hotel where he wrote a letter and started questioning people and, and, he, and he he just caught him. Mm -hmm. Just amazing. Following his hunch. Yeah. Yeah. Grunt police work. Oh, I need another beer there. Hit me. That was a nice bass. I'm ready for something different. I see Corona here. Nah. I see... The white ones are Guinness. I'll take that. Guinness, you say? Guinness me. And then crack one. Give me a bass, too. I'll make a black and tan. Good call. Maybe we'll both make one. Boom. Well, I lost my keys. This isn't the infamous black and tan episode, but we are going to have an infamous black and tan episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I got some stuff on that. And it's going to be a giant black and tan because it's going to be 84 ounces. Look at the CO2 pouring out of that. You see that? That was crazy. That was crazy. So you go, is it, you go the lighter beer first, the bass, and then the Guinness on top? Yeah, but I don't have a spoon, so it's all just going to mix. That's not, not too bad in that glass. It's like actually it. a pretty convincing black and tan right there. I don't think it's going to work that great in that pint glass. It's just all going to mix. No, mine's just turning into a stout. <clears throat> Damn, man, we've covered some ground. How, what's our time right now? Uh, about 40 minutes. Huh? About 40 Let's go minutes. a little longer. What else you got? Oh, I, well... I have two more medical serial killers, funny enough. Do you want a female serial killer Always. or a male? Oh, All right. That's female. It's a whole different dynamic. So this is uh, the story of Jolly Jane. I don't think I... <laughs> Come on, you're making that up. I can't make that shit up. It's Jolly Jane. And you don't think you sized? Is that where you were going with Jolly Jane? No, I don't I don't, I don't. think I cited oh, a, a, a web a podcast that I listened to about this. Because I have... I've, I've read about her. Um, I want to say maybe Lore has a story about Jolly Jane. Yeah. <clears throat> so, originally she was born Honora... Kelly, H-O-N-O-R-A, I'm thinking Honora. Honora Kelly was born on August 17th, 1854. She was known to have said that her ambition was to have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman that has ever lived. Come on! That got her insanity right there. <laughs> her parents were Irish immigrants, and her mother died when she was very young of tuberculosis, as was common at the time. Sure. Her father was an alcoholic. I can't believe he's not a barber. Okay, how good? No, wait. Let's just let's just walk it back a little bit here. Right. You're saying her father was Irish and he was an alcoholic? It can't be true. I know. 
That sounds like a mistake. <laughs> but her father was an alcoholic and was called Kelly the Crack, short for crackpot. Nice. His, insan- his insanity was made clear when he sewed his own eyes shut while working as a tailor. Soon afterward, Kelly took his two youngest children, Delilah Josephine, and that may be Delia, and Honora, to the Boston Female Asylum, which basically, it sounds terrible, but it's a, a orphanage. Okay. He never saw them again. There are no records of their time there, but Delilah went on to become a sex worker, and their older sister that did not get sent to the orphanage was committed to an asylum. Uh, so maybe there are some hereditary insanity issues in this family, perhaps. I mean, is that a thing that doctors believe in, that insanity is hereditary? or? I don't actually know. I mean, you don't deal with the insane, really. Every now and again I do. Once but I, I, don't know if I don't know if it's a hereditary thing or not. In less than two years, in November 1864, Honora Kelly was placed as an indentured servant in the home of Miss Anne C. Topan of Lowell, Massachusetts. Though never formally adopted by the Topans, Honora took on the surname of them and eventually became known as Jane Topan. Okay. As a nurse... In 1885, Jane had a lot of friends and was well-liked. She earned the nickname Jolly Jane, which we're used to seeing different nicknames like Angel of Death, Double O Swango. But it seems like if you're going to be a medical serial killer, you get a nickname. H.H. H. Holmes was an alias, right? Jolly Jane sounds like I want to be friends with Jolly Jane. I don't think you do. You certainly don't want to be in her care. <laughs> During her residency at Cambridge Hospital, she started experimenting on her patients with morphine and atropine. Atropine. Thank you. That's why you're here. She wanted to see what it would do to their nervous systems. Mm -hmm. Topan would get into bed with her victims and fondle them as they died. As one does. She later admitted that she experienced sexual gratification when they were near death. I... Yeah, what do you say to that? (laughs) I... I, yeah. She was uh, recommended to Massachusetts General Hospital in 1889. She killed more people there and was fired the next year. Upon returning to Cambridge, she was quickly fired there for administering opiates recklessly. How do you... Ah! (laughs) Your mind tries to picture someone recklessly administering opiates. She's like drunk. (laughs) She's all like Rambo... She then started a career as a private nurse. This is when she really began to murder people. In 1885, she killed her landlord and his wife. She also killed her foster sister with strychnine in 1899. In 1901, she moved in with the Davis family to take care of him after his wife's death, whom Jane had killed. In quick succession, she killed Mr. Davis, his sister, and his two daughters. The surviving family members ordered toxicology, a, a toxicology exam on Mr. Davis's youngest daughter, which which she tried to stop, interestingly enough. And it was learned that she was poisoned. J, Jane took. Uh, it didn't say. I I believe morphine was her drug of choice. Hmm. Jane Topan was arrested on October 29, 1901, for murder. 
She confessed to 31 murders. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity and committed to the Tanton Insane Hospital. <clears throat> it's believed that she killed an additional 70 patients, but she could only provide details of 31 of her victims. She died in 1938 at the age of 84. She was remembered by her keepers as a quiet old lady. Some of the older residents remember her smiling as she beckoned them to the room. She would say, quote, Get some morphine, dearie, and we'll go out on the ward. You, will, you and I will have a fun time seeing them die. <laughs> These stories are incredible. Like like the, the older serial killers, or maybe it's just the medical ones, the body counts are her, like horrendously high. They're estimating around 100 people. 31 she remembered, 70 that... I mean, everybody knows Jeffrey Dahmer's name. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer, his body count was, what, six, seven people. I thought it was in the teens. It, I could be wrong. It wasn't 60 or 70. I mean, this is like no one even knows this lady. He lived in some She's... shitty apartment and was eating the people there. And, and like, it, cops came to Jeffrey Dahmer's place like two or three times. Sometimes from a drug-crazed homosexual that escaped and they're like, oh, you crazy. You crazy kids. Go have your fun. Slaps him on the back of the head and kicks him out. And, and, they, <laughs> and like they could have busted him two or three times. I get it. And the neighbors were complaining about the smell. And he's like, oh, I just had a pot roast go bad. Well, yeah, human pot roast. <laughs> it's the, the Dahmer story is amazing, dude. How, how it could even happen. He lived, he lived in a fucking shitty apartment complex. But it's also amazing that... We all know his name, mm -hmm. and he killed so many less people than this Jolly Jolly Betty. What's her name? Jolly Jane. Jolly Jane. It's not a Christmas character. <laughs> it's not Mrs. Claus's niece. <laughs> nice. That's crazy. So she overdosed people with morphine. Well, probably been enough nurses did that. Yeah. Not purposely, though crazy yeah so i have a believe it or not another medical serial killer the female ones are better man i don't know why they just are i think she was off the wall that's that story blew me away and then like i say i believe it's lore has a, a episode of that and uh if you haven't listened to lore check it out i also want to talk about um Obscura is a podcast I've been listening to. <clears throat> it's really, really good. True crime. Uh, he never says what his name is. He may he may be named Mike, or, or he maybe it's he's probably at least his middle name. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he's just trying. Never says his name because he doesn't want her to get out that he's not Mike. I don't know. So this is not an actual RN or doctor or anything like that. This is a medical student. Yeah. This is the Craigslist killer. Uh, yeah, that's more recent. This is very recent. Yeah, I this is that. at the turn of the century. Years back. Trisha Leffler had an ad on the Craigslist asking men to call her if they were in her area and wanted to spend some time with a fun blonde. On April 10th, 2009, Trisha got a call and arranged to meet Philip Markoff in the next half hour. It was understood that an hour of time with her cost about $200. 
He called her when he was at the hotel and she met him at the elevator. This way, if she felt uncomfortable, she could just walk away and they wouldn't know her room number rather than just giving him the room number and come on up. Mm-hmm. So it's her weirdo screening technique. Mm-hmm. She didn't feel like he was a threat and invited him up to the room. Once in the room, he pointed a gun at her and told her to lay down. He tied her up. He told her she wouldn't get hurt if she cooperated, and he asked her where her money was. She directed him to her purse. He took her money, credit card, wallet, and camera. He erased his phone number from her call log, and then he tied her to the bathroom door after taping her mouth and left. Julissa Bryceman was murdered by Philip Markoff on April 14, 2009, at a Marriott hotel in Boston. Four days later. Police responded to calls of multiple gunshots and found Julissa unresponsible on the hotel room floor and covered in blood from multiple gunshots and head trauma. The investigation revealed that she had arranged to meet Andy to perform a sensual massage as advertised on the Craigslist. On April 16, 2009, Corrine Stout was a victim of attempted robbery at the Holiday Inn Express. Corrine was an exotic dancer offering lap dances on the Craigslist. Corrine was able to signal her husband with her phone. Um, Markoff ran away. This robbery was an epic fail, but at least no one died. It's all in the same week. Yeah, he like went crazy. <clears throat> I believe his crimes were motivated by gambling debts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a shit job, job trying to conceal himself as footage clearly shows him at the scenes of all three of these incidents on uh, April 20th Markoff and his fiance were arrested in a traffic stop and this is what's crazy like him and his fiance are just driving I believe they were driving to a casino and um, boom there's an explosion of cops around him they're all pointing guns on, at you screaming get down motherfucker and and um, the handcuffs are slapped on and they're taken. And, Happened to me like three times last week. Yeah, but imagine that happening to Laura and she doesn't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. So they, sep- they, you know, they separated him um, and questioned him. And this is, I believe, on a... Yeah, yeah it's, it's a Sword and Scale episode too, so I'll give you that episode at the end. <clears throat> the actual interviews are on there. And his wife has, or fiance has no fucking idea what they're asking her. They're asking her about all these different hotels and gambling and Craigslist and different, he was on different sites where you hook up secretly with people for sex and things. And she's like, never even heard of these things. And you can hear her confusion. And she's like, what the fuck is going on? You know, she has no clue. Mm Mm-hmm about what is happening until they start showing her surveillance video of him in these places that would be amazing to be a fly on the wall he claimed he couldn't he claimed he couldn't remember where he was at the times the crimes were committed and claimed innocence yeah until they start showing him dude this is you okay we we they have cameras asshole especially a, a casino they have a thousand cameras yeah they're known for that his uh, fiance. In the 80s, they had cameras. I know. <laughs> like, they had them first, right? His fiance, Megan McAllister, stood behind him for a while until it became extremely obvious that he had committed these crimes. She called off their wedding. He first attempted suicide on April 21st, 2009. He tried to hang himself 
uh, with straps that he made from his shoes. Again, this is still, this is like only 11 days after the original crime. Yeah. Like, this is a short timeline. On April 30th, the day after Megan broke up with him, he tried to cut his wrist with a serrated spoon. It's a terrible choice. Yeah. Finally, on the anniversary of what was to be their wedding day, Markov killed himself. He was able to make a scalpel-like instrument and open veins in his ankles, legs, and neck. He wrapped these areas in plastic bags so that the blood wouldn't pool on the floor. Then he put toilet paper down his throat so they couldn't resuscitate him. Finally, he placed a plastic bag over his head. He wrote his pet name for him and Megan on the wall in blood. He was never tried for his crimes. Oh yeah, and listen to the Sword and Scale episode. Episode is 79. They do a really good job of of showing those interviews, and you can you can see how how like they go from like not knowing what the hell to enlightenment on her part and and his part him just coolly denying everything and, and uh finally having to admit uh yeah i guess i i did i mean i guess he doesn't qualify as a serial killer he only killed one person but um if they hadn't caught him things went south I think he would have killed more. If that that third lady hadn't had her husband close by that she could signal, mm-hmm. I think she would be dead. How do you get toilet paper down your throat and then put a plastic bag on your head? I don't know. It's the craziest. The, his, his suicide was super crazy, I thought, too. Like, huh. he wanted to be absolutely sure they couldn't stop him. This yeah, time. yeah, there was a certain insecurity there. Crazy man, crazy story. Um, <laughs> I don't know, speechless. <laughs> yeah, that's off the wall. But I remember the Craigslist killer. Yeah, and and there's been, a, I mean, we could do, we could probably do an episode just on Craigslist crimes. There's so many, it's mm-hmm. insane. You just want to always be sure. You're in a public area. You're not meeting someone alone. Um, I mean, just recently, this happened again for the second time. This happened. A woman. You're. I'll have to. You'll have to forgive me. I have no names and titles because I didn't research this. But a woman responded to a Craigslist ad, and yes, there is a Sword and Scale episode. I don't know which one. It was for free baby clothes. This was several years back. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, there's a 911 call. Uh, the woman doesn't know where she is. She's been stabbed in the neck and the throat. Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, so this woman was pregnant and came to get baby clothes. And the woman. She had drug inside. Yeah, she, she stabbed her in the neck with a broken bottle and cut the baby out. And then put the woman in her basement. And didn't take her cell phone. And when her husband came home, rushed to the hospital with her husband because she had said she had just had her baby that she'd been pregnant with for like um, over 12 months. <laughs> and so they're at the hospital and stuff, and, and the woman in the basement doesn't die. She's able to call 911, and cops come there, and you can hear her voice like she's she's fading. 
and she's telling the the 911 operator that they need to hurry and and when the cops come in the room like the, even the cops said just her animation of like oh my god I'm being saved and her voice on the phone you can hear like just excitement that oh my god I might actually live and the cop talks and he's he says it was the most horrifying he'd ever, thing he'd ever seen because here's this woman covered in blood with her guts hanging out yeah, yeah. was um and when she was wheeled into the hospital she didn't know that the woman had cut her baby out she didn't even know did the baby make it i believe that baby died yeah it's they, hard man yeah and there was a lot of weird legal stuff because they're trying to say like she couldn't be tried for infanticide because the baby was still in the womb yeah and never drew a breath on its own so but but you interrupted the natural process of things so that's murder as far as i'm concerned an attempted murder on the mother just the other day the same fucking thing happened only this woman they strangled and cut her baby open cut her baby out and the woman died but the baby the three people two men and a woman strangled and killed this woman and cut the baby out where <clears throat> uh, i'd have to look it up how'd you hear about it on the news huh it's on the news jamie just saw it on the facebook she's like hey this is that thing you're talking about but they were able to save the baby and it actually opened its eyes the other day so there's a picture of like the father with the baby and its eyes open mm -hmm. people don't 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 use the craigslist for baby clothes that's just a red flag if you see that don't do it well like never so go by yourself there's yeah well there's advice to a young woman a woman it seems like such an innocent thing but it's there's, happened twice that's insane there there's advice to people you know like i don't give a fuck like i'll go into someone's house no one's gonna get the drop on me you know it, yeah it, but you're licensed to carry <laughs> <laughs> right so but like if you're like if you're a person who isn't me and you need to do a craigslist transaction there's just a simple solution you just have the person meet you at a fire station parking lot Right. Oh, that's good. That's it's good it's advice. it's it's it, and the and the firefighters have already said they're okay with it. Oh wow! So like, there should just be Craigslist transactions occurring all the time in firefighter parking lots, because yeah. no one's gonna pull any shit because there's a bunch of guys ready to rock and roll and it's all gonna be fine. So that's how you, that's how you do, that's how you handle that. It's easy. Good call. So follow that advice if you're gonna buy something on Craigslist. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right, so thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, again, June 15th, the Homebrew Wine Beer Festival thing that has the longest name of anything ever known by man. We'll be pouring beer on June 15th. Uh, we will not be pouring wine this year. We will have a dark cider. True darkness. Um, check out the, our uh, YouTube channel, Mr. Cole's Homebrew. Uh, the Hard Kool-Aid episode is up. I'll post a link for that. <laughs> You want the hard Kool-Aid. It's uh, Fruit Punch Kool-Aid. It's sweet, and yeah, it's 10% alcohol. <laughs> uh, what else? That's it, man. Uh, Wrapping it up. Cheers. Here's to fighting, stealing, and drinking. If you fight, may you fight for a friend.
If you steal, may you steal a lover's heart. And if you drink, please drink with us. Have a good one.